I want you to have time to be able to find today's scripture. It's in the first book of Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, if you want to go ahead and turn there uh, this morning. <coughs> I wonder if we could, if we were able to just to peel back all of the supernatural and, and see all of the things that God has done for us, I don't think we would even believe it for a moment. I don't think we would even understand it. All these things that God has done for us. God knows all of us. Amen? God knows every single one of us, not just here at PFN. There's 8 billion people on the face of this earth, and he knows every single one of us. This uh, past couple weeks, we've been talking about margin, and uh, as I preach to you, the Lord is also preaching to me, and so he has opened up my eyes on some things that I need to do in my life to make my margin uh, greater. And so one of the things that I felt like he was calling me to do is to give up all that time that I seem to spend in social media. Uh, maybe you are there as well, but uh, to replace the, some of that uh, with reading his word. And so I've been pretty cognizant this week of how often my hand goes uh, to my cell phone and I pull that cell phone out in order to get on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. And then God checks my spirit every single time and says, why don't you spend that time in my word instead? And so I, I know that we just, we kind of live in that age where this is primarily my chief way of keeping up with people in the lives of people in church. And so um, I've had to scroll a little bit, but most of that time has been spent in, in God's word this week. And uh, one of the themes when you, when you spend so much time in, in the word in, in a short amount of time and you see how often God has shown up in the lives of his people and he offers them a chance. He offers them the, an opportunity to get back into a proper relationship with him. And over and over and over, the, the Israelites, they missed up and then there was God. And he offered them this chance to be rescued once again and, and they would turn away again and there's God giving them a chance to be redeemed once again. And the greatest news of all of that is he's not done with that. He still does that for us today. Even when we turn away from him, he is still there. No matter how deep the pit that we may have dug for ourselves, there is God reaching his hand down and offering us a chance to, to be rescued once again. This year, granted, has been tough. We thought 2020 was bad. We thought 2021 was bad. And then 2022 came and ugh. And I, so I see in front of me, I see people that need a rest. I see people that need a break. I see people that need that hand of God to be reached out to them and ask and, and said, Lord, pull me out of this pit. I need something different. I, I need your rescue, Lord. And here is God even in the midst of all the things that are going on, saying, if you follow me, I will give you rest. 
My yoke is easy. Take it upon you. I will give you rest. And so we started this series talking about that need for margin in our life. And I think it really hit us in a, in a point where we, we need rest so, so bad. We, we live a, such busy lives that often we don't leave room for the most important things in our life. And we do the same thing in our finances as well. So today we're talking about a financial margin. We're talking about a money margin. Now, I, I get it. I understand this isn't your favorite sermon subject. I understand that. It, money is actually a, a topic that, if I'm honest, isn't my favorite to talk about either. Money makes me nervous. Money isn't my, my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, spending money makes me nervous. Saving money makes me nervous. I, I'm, I don't have a financial mind. It's, that's not me. That's not who I am. I remember once back in college, I had to take an economics class, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I hated finance. I hated that economics class. And I don't think it's a, it's probably not a wise thing to do to start this sermon like we have the past couple weeks and ask you to raise your hand. But I wonder how many people here have felt financial pressure in the last couple. Yeah, there's people, you raised your hand anyway. Oh, very good. So see, over the past couple weeks, we've established how, how the world tells us to live our life is how, how the world is talking to you, how the world is showing you how to live life is, is saying this is what normal looks like. Being under financial stress, according to the world, is normal. But is this how God expects us to live? Is this what he wants for his children? See, today, living paycheck to paycheck is absolutely normal. Having monthly payments is normal. Being in debt is normal. Having worry and anxiety and fear over money in our finances is normal. And sadly, having tension in our relationships, in our marriage, fights between husbands and wives, all about money is very, very normal. Having little or no financial margin is normal normal in our society. I think that's one reason we don't like normal because we know normal doesn't work. The, the number one cause, the number one cause for divorce in the United States right now is money. That's what causes the most fights. That's what causes the most divorces is money. It's time for God's people to have a financial margin. Remember, if we're Talking about margin, margin is the amount that's available beyond what is necessary. So it's a difference between what you have and what you need. So financially, we could say this. If you make $3,000 a month and you spend $2,500 a month, you have a $500 margin for the month, right? You get that. But if you earn $3,000 and you spend $3,000, how much margin do you have? Nothing. You have no margin. But the real problem, especially in the United States, is a lot of us are making the $3,000 a month, but we're spending $3,500 a month. 
And it's not only that we don't have margin, but we have a deficit. And so margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. And so financial margin is having enough left over at the end of the month that maybe you could even bless somebody. You could help somebody else out that's in need. Financial margin is having enough money to give and not feeling stressed out about what you're giving. It's being able to actually do something fun with your money. Financial margin might even afford you the luxury of paying somebody else to do something around your house so that you have free time. That could be financial margin. But financial margin is something that a lot of us don't have. It's what a lot of us don't live with. But I really think this is God's desire. I think this is what God wants for his, for his children is to have a financial margin. But instead, we replace God's design with a version that we have made up on our own. It's, it's, a, it's a version is what we want what other people have. We live in a society where we're supposed to keep up with the Joneses, as it were. And if they have it, and it seems like it makes them happy, then probably I should get that same thing too. And maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like every single generation wants what their parents have worked many, many years for earlier and earlier and earlier. Am I right? I remember when I was 20 years old and talking to my mom and she said, your dad and I have worked years to have what we have and you want it now. Be patient. You don't need everything all at once, but that's our mentality. We want what we want and we want it when we want it, right? We don't like to wait. We want it now or we think that we should have had it yesterday or we deserve it. And so we're going to look at this uh, verse. I know it's a verse that I've never personally preached from before. It's found in this letter written by the Apostle Paul to his apprentice named Timothy. And so it's the first of these two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It starts out by Paul telling Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So let's stop there. Let's just pause there. We're going to break this down a little. Being content, Paul says, is great gain. It's not a little gain. It's not better than. It's great gain. In other words, living with contentment with what you have, Paul says, this is the best way for us to live. There is no other way. This is it, being content And Paul is saying that we need to learn how to live with the attitude that what we have, that what we've already been blessed with is enough. And so he's saying, why don't we quit? Why don't we stop striving for more and more and more and adding all of these things into our lives ourselves? For verse seven, he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food... And clothing, we will be content with that. It's great gain. I want you to write this down. Financial margin is rarely an income problem. Financial margin is rarely an income problem, but an attitude problem. 
Think about the great gain that you would have, that we would have, if we learn to be content with what we have. Having what you need, not needing what you want. That's the way maybe to think about things. But for the most part, our American dream has been built on greed, not on contentment. Somewhere along the line, the American dream of working hard and providing for your family, the, the basics of the American dream, that wasn't enough. And, and we wanted more. Food and clothing and, and shelter didn't cut it because we thought we needed more to add into our lives in order to make ourselves happy. And now we think we need food and clothing and shelter and a boat, right? <laughs> now that's good if you're Reagan Smith and you make your living from a boat. If you're providing food and clothing and shelter for your family with a boat, that's good. But most likely, I probably don't need a boat. I just need Reagan, right? I don't need a boat. I just need friends with boats. That's all. See, godliness with contentment, Paul says, is great gain. But the alternative is verse 9. To those who want to get rich, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, we live in a, in a time where our finances, where uh, the way we think about money causes us tremendous grief. And this financial pressure to make more and, and to get more causes us grief. We see the stress of thinking that we're never going to have enough money. And that is grief in and of itself. We see financial tensions in marriages over money that cause tremendous grief. We see people that are unable to enjoy the blessings that they have because they're always worried about money. See, a marginless living stems from our attitude towards money, not necessarily the amount of money that's in our bank account. So why, why would we be willing to, to trade our contentment for the stress of never having enough. Why do, we, why do we willingly live in stress because of finances? Most of us, if we think about it, most of us are choosing to be stressed because of our attitude towards money. So why do most of us trade a peaceful life, a, a life with money margin for a life spent trying to get more and more and more and all the things of this world that will never last, that we will never take with us. We brought nothing into this world and we will take nothing out of this world. Once again, we, we do it because we want to be normal. We want to be normal and normal in our day and age is living beyond our means our culture, our culture is lying to us and, and trying to tell us that in order to be happy, you have to have the best stuff. 
You have to have the right stuff, the most stuff. And so the definition of happiness, this is in your notes, the definition of happiness according to our culture is getting more than I have. That's what society is is telling us. That's what the world is telling us. What you have, the world says, is not enough. You need more. You need something else and then you will be happy. If you just had a little bit more, if you just had a little bit more, more than perhaps you would be happy. And our culture tells us, you deserve it. Why not get it? Uh, you, even if you can't afford it, just make payments, right? It's going to make you happy. You got to have it. You got to have it now. You're not happy because you don't have enough. So go get it. But here's the crazy thing. Many of us in this room Many of us here are more blessed now than we've ever imagined possible. Yet we're more miserable than we've ever been. What happened? What happened? In our culture, most of us are living beyond our margin. It's not an income problem, it's an attitude problem because I've heard it so many times, if I, just, if I just made more money then, if I just had then, but it's not an income problem. It rarely is the income problem. It's a lifestyle problem. And as our income goes up, our lifestyle is really, really close behind and sometimes it even overtakes the income. And we have no margin because we have a lifestyle problem. Which if we get past the obvious and get to the root of it, what we have in that lifestyle problem really stems from a spiritual problem. And I get it. Me too, folks. Me too. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself as well. My goodness, I need to practice margin financially. I need to practice what I preach. I get it. I understand that. So Matthew chapter six, Jesus says this, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, which in so many ways, that's the opposite of what our lifetime goal is, right? It's to store our lifetime goal. A lot is to store up as much as we can to get more. And we think we follow that rule. He who dies with the most toys wins. But in reality, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. And we can't take it with us. So that's our, our life. That's what we want to do. And Jesus says, stop it. This is a foolish way for you to live. He says, instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to think about this for a second. Now look this up. The average Christian, the average Christian in the United States gives about... 2% of their income back to God. 2% of their income back to the church or or back to some sort of charity, uh, something like that, 2%. That that means 98% goes back into the world. 
That means 98% of our heart goes back to the world and only 2% goes back to God. See, it's a spiritual problem when we're not satisfied with what God has provided for us and we strive for more. See, we actually think that more will make us happy. But deep down, we know that's a lie. We know it because we've tried it and we've lived that and it didn't work. We know it, but it's so easy for us to buy into the cultural lie that in order to be happy, we need to have more. So we need to figure out how do we create this financial margin? I'm going to give you the secret. Here's the secret. It's so deep. This is profound. You won't believe this. This is the secret to your financial margin. Are you ready for this? Spend less than you make. See ya. I'll, you know, I'll go home now. Right? Thanks for coming. We get this, don't we? We understand this. We don't need a preacher to come up and tell us that. We, we get it. Spend less than you make, of course. Right? But here's the problem. Even though we know that's the solution and none of us are stupid, we get it, we understand that, but we turn the solution into an income problem. And we think, well, yeah, of course I need to spend less than I make, so maybe I just need to make more. And we ignore the the spiritual problem that's looming before us. It usually isn't the income that's a problem. It's usually the contentment and being happy and living within our means. So how do, we, how do we get beyond the practical? I could give you a whole bunch of practical things. I could give you a whole bunch of people to study and, and to follow and, and in order to create a financial margin. I could do all of that, but you can do all of those things. But if you don't have your mind right, if you don't have your heart right, none of that's going to work. And so this is what you have to do. It's in your notes. Put God first. That's the real secret. That's the the secret. Put God first in your finances. You got to put God first. Because in our world, we often put ourselves before God. And if we want it, we're going to get it. And if we have anything left over, then we bring God into the deal. But in reality, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto us. See, when we seek him first, and I'm not just talking about tithing, although that's a huge part of it, but it's about asking God, how would you have me manage the resources that you've already entrusted into my care? Uh, about sincerely seeking his will and, and his direction. See, when we put him first, we're going to see incredible benefits in, in our lives. I'm going to just going to give you a couple of them. We could talk about so, so many more. So what happens? What happens when we put God first in our finances? Number one, you will experience God's blessings. I guarantee it. Now, that's not great for a preacher to get up here and, and to guarantee that God is going to do something, but, but it's, it, it's scriptural. 
Back in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It's in your notes there. Scripture tells us, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's the church. Bring 10%, in other words, and, and I could probably very easily give you the argument that the biblical tithe really isn't 10%. It's probably more like 20 to 30. But let's start with 10, okay? Let's just start with 10. Bring 10% of what God trusts us into the house of God so that there may be food in my house. Some people think that the church is, all we're doing is trying to get your money. That's not true. We're just trying to get 10% of it. That's all. <laughs> Seriously. If the North American church, we are so blessed. If the North American church gave 10% of our income and if the church was wise enough to spend it correctly, there would not be a hungry mouth to feed in this entire world. There wouldn't. There would not be a single homeless person. There would not be a single person without health care. There would be more than enough. But instead, we have too many churches trying to figure out, hey, this month, are we going to pay the Amron bill or are we going to pay the water bill? And God knows we freak out when he says, bring the whole tithe into the church. And so he says, later on in the same passage, he says, test me in this. If you don't believe it, just test me. See if I will... See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Testing. So what does our tithing do when we bring our first and we bring him our best? God blesses the rest every single time. It trains us and it teaches us that God can do more with the 90% left over than we would ever do with 100%. That's just how he is. So tithing builds our trust, builds our faith in God. And it's one of the most tangible and practical ways that we can ever put God first. But in order to do it, in order for that to happen, we're going to have to rearrange our lives around God. Not ask God to rearrange his self around us. See, we have to be able to say no to some really good things in this world so that we can say yes to God first. The biblical, the honorable, faithful tithe, returning at least 10% back to God. And, and that is what it does for God, but what does it do for what does it do for us? What does tithing do for us? Our tithing breaks that, that cycle. Tithing breaks that cycle of materialism that we find ourselves in because we see God blessing with less. Now, our mind changes, our attitude changes. If you want your children and you want your grandchildren to be successful, then teach them how to tithe. Teach them how to tithe. Teach them the attitude that if we give God back first, if we give God what is first and the best, then the rest will be added 
to us. And we will experience God's blessings. And number two, when you put God first in your finances, you'll end up with more of what matters. You will. You may not have the boat. You may not have what everybody else has physically, but you will have that no, what no one else has spiritually. And you'll end up with more of what matters. See, when we seek him first, instead of filling our lives with, with things that really, when we think about it, really don't matter, you're then going to fill your lives with things that truly do matter. When you have time margin and financial margin, you're going to find yourself spending your time with people you love. You're going to find yourself investing in important things in life. You'll be rich, but you'll be rich relationally. You will be rich spiritually. You'll be rich in the things that matter most if we put God first. Carol and I answered our call into ministry back in the early 2000s. And uh, you may have known our story. I, back then, I was a respiratory therapist. Carol was just starting into nursing, and we were making really good money. We were. <coughs> I was working a ton of overtime at the time. It wasn't unusual for me to put in two or three double shifts in, in a week. And so I would go in at 2.30 in the afternoon. I would get off work at 7.30 or 8 in the morning, and I was making a ton of money for that time. Uh, tried to figure it out. I probably was bringing in close to $80,000 a year as a respiratory therapist, but working my tail off. But then God called us to ministry. And we said, okay, God, we're going to put you first in our, in our, in our life. We're just going to follow you. And we moved from Peoria to Cuba, Illinois, to take on our first church. And my income dropped from just about $80,000 a year to $7,500 a year. How did we do it? We put God first. That's it. Carol and I gave Carol and I gave more to the church in tithe than I made in an entire year. Because we put God first. And it's obvious we didn't miss a single meal. We never went hungry. Not once. We raised two kids with all of their needs being met and most of their wants. So why is it so easy, even though I hate finances, I hate money, why is it so easy for, for me to preach about tithing and financial margin is because I've lived it. I've seen it. I've tested God and he has proved himself over and over and over Every single time when we have put God first, not only will he give you what you need, but he will give you margin. Put God first, watch him, test him, let him prove himself to you. Put God first and see how, how living with that financial margin will allow you to, to have the life that you've dreamed of, what a life of less stress, a life of less grief, 
So if you aren't tithing, start. Start somewhere. If you aren't giving a full tithe, then see how much he can bless the rest. But it's only going to happen when you give him the best. See, listen, as we enter into this financial struggle, we have been praying for you. And I've been praying that God would richly bless every single family in this church. And it's a genuine prayer from your pastor that you experience God's blessings financially. I do want that for you. But I also know that in order for those blessings to occur, we all got to put God first in our finances. We got to give him the best. Got to give him the first. And then we can watch what God does. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this, wow, this isn't the easiest sermon to preach and it's not the easiest sermon to hear. It's just something when the preacher seems like he's sticking his fingers in my wallet, my checking account. Yes, Lord, uh, this pastor wants his church to be blessed, but even more than that, even more than that, I want you, Lord, to have the chance to prove yourselves, to prove yourself. Lord, if we would give the tithe back to you, if we would give you the first and the best You say, test me in this. Test me in this. See if I will not add back so much more. And so, Lord, even though this is not the easiest sermon to hear or to preach, the principle behind it is true. The principle behind it is, is exactly where you want your children to be surrendered to you so that we can trust you with less because we know, Lord, that you are going to bless it. Lord, if we want financial margin, if we want that life of less stress and less grief because of money, it seems so counterintuitive to our human minds to say if we want less stress, then we need to give more away. But Lord, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours first. It's yours. So Lord, this week I, I do pray for those conversations between husbands and wives and parents and children or grandparents and grandchildren as we discuss in our families and in our homes the the principle of tithing and putting you first. And Lord, I pray that your blessing does fall. Lord, I want nothing more than your blessing to fall upon all of those that can hear my voice today. Lord, would you bless them? But I also know also know in order for that blessing to fall, we have to put you first. 
If we want margin, financial margin in our life, we have to put you first. That's it. And so, Lord, would you, would you grant those in this sanctuary, those listening online, would you grant them the courage? Would you grant them the bravery to trust you with what we have? And, Lord, may we step back and watch you work. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that are falling upon this, this congregation, this church. We love you, Jesus, and you are worthy. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.